This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. At Parent Footprint, our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We firmly believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same, happiness, health, engagement, and awareness in our own lives. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting, and with increased awareness and attention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children and grandchildren. Today's show is called With Understanding Comes Calm, Bringing Out the Best and Raising Self-Esteem in Our Kids, and I'm excited to have my friend and colleague, Julie Skolnick, who is an expert at this, joining us. Julie is the founder of With Understanding Comes Calm, where she passionately guides parents of gifted and distractible children, mentors 2E adults, trains educators, and collaborates with professionals on bringing out the best and raising self-esteem in their students and clients. Julie serves as the secretary to Maryland Superintendent's Gifted and Talented Advisory Council and is the Maryland liaison for SANG, supporting the emotional needs of the gifted. She's also on the advisory council for The G Word, a feature film that is currently in production and is trained in putting the person into personalized learning through the TUI Center for Research and Professional Development. Julie is a frequent speaker, a prolific writer, and is the mother of three, yes, three twice exceptional children who keep her on her toes and uproariously laughing. Julie, welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes, we love to laugh. (laughs) Humor is important, right? In so many ways and so many times. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So tell us how you got into this work. Where did this all come from? Well, so I'm trained actually as a lawyer and I have a master's in sociology. So I've always been fascinated with the human condition and advocacy. But most importantly, and as you noted, I have three kids now, 17, 15, and nine. I took one for the team with that third guy. But uh, when my when my now 15-year-old was in kindergarten, I decided, not, not knowing, really, I had no idea that I had these, or that I was going to have three twice exceptional kids. Uh, but what I did know was that my 
five-year-old and seven-year-old, you know, could fight like cats and dogs and love each other so much, you know, that intensity that I now know comes with this profile. But I, I, I was, first of all, eight months pregnant, and I went to the kindergarten teachers to say, like, give me some strategies. These were folks that I really um, thought of as wise. They were the kindergarten teachers for my daughter, for my son. So I went to them, and I asking for advice. And very sweetly, they said, you know, when anybody comes to look at our classroom, they always ask the same question about your son. They (laughs) ask, why is it that the kid who seems like he's paying the least attention is the one who knows all the answers? Hmm. And then they very um, kindly suggested that we learn a little bit more about how he learns. So we did that. We went and and we had neuropsychological testing done on our five-year-old. And, you know, the diagnoses came back gifted, which was great that they put that as a diagnosis, but they didn't tell us anything about it. There was zero guidance. And then ADHD. Well, the gifted piece at that time, I didn't understand what gifted really meant. I just thought it meant like it did when we were kids, which was you were in the higher reading group. You were smart. That was my sum total of what what is gifted me. Mm-hmm. Well, that was kind of a smack on the forehead. No kidding. The kid was taking at age five this neuropsych test and teaching the tester answering in Hebrew because it was boring and he thought he should teach her something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was kind of like, well, no kidding. Yeah. Gifted. But attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Eight months pregnant, man. I hit that road running. I need I to bet. figure this out. Figure it out now. So that, that started the journey, and I really did. I spent three years learning everything I could about ADHD. I learned a lot of great stuff. I met a lot of great people. I was trained by that wonderful association, Chad, on parent-to-parent training, practically had Russell Barkley on speed dial. I mean, I was <laughs> on it. But I got to say, it was a, a lot of a glass-half-empty perspective. You know, I learned a lot right. of stuff that was pretty emotional, like my kid's going to as smart as he was, maybe drop out of school. Behavior was going to be an issue. He was going to drive recklessly. He might do drugs. He, you know, it went on and on. A higher instance of divorce, the whole thing. And then I had two really happy coincidences happen. Number one, my son befriended a very similar kid. And this kid's mom was in gifted education. And she said to me one day, Julie, why are you ignoring your kid's giftedness? And I kind of did this head tilt, right? Like, what are you talking about? You know, he's in a dual enrichment uh, school. He's got all this stuff going on. And she delivered like a stack of books to my house. And I, I can see in my mind's eye that I was sitting at my dining room table, flipping the pages, having aha moment after aha moment, realizing what gifted actually meant and understanding for the first time that sibling rivalry that brought me to the teachers in the first place. I understood my kids, myself, my family, my husband, his family. You know, it was like, whoa. And then the second coincidence was I was at a, at a um, learning uh, differences conference. And at that conference was to e-newsletter exhibiting. A great reference for or a great resource for anybody who's listening. Um, but on that table, they also had a saying supporting the emotional needs of the gifted brochure. And I thought to myself, emotional needs, wow, that is totally what I need to know about, learn about, and understand, and address. 
And I went to my first SANG conference and I called my husband after the first session. And I said, I will never miss another one of these conferences. Like this, these are my people, man. And this is so <laughs> positive, such strength-based positive reframe. So that's how this all sort of started. That was my journey. That was my journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, is that uh, organic and authentic, right? Like it just, you, yeah. you were led by your mission and, under, and, and wanting to understand your child and then being the yep. person that you are, you're going to learn everything that you need to know. And then, and then <laughs> there so. was no stone unturned. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? I, I, I think for the, a lot of our listeners are familiar, uh, particularly the ones listening to this episode, are familiar with the term twice exceptional. And I was thinking mm-hmm. for many others who have kids who have not been labeled but will recognize some of the characteristics, how about tell, uh, tell everyone how, how you define twice exceptionality? So that's a great question. So, you know, uh, you said something in my intro where you said gifted and distractible, and I sort of tried to cast my net quite widely by coming up with that term. Um, And so gifted and distractible, meaning you have a gifted diagnosis. And then, of course, that needs to be unpacked because we all just learned that it's not only your ability or your brilliance. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's some other diagnosis or experience that's a learning difference or a learning disability. And it can be anything from ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. It could be language-based learning, but it could also be anxiety, executive functioning challenges, working memory challenges, processing speed challenges. um, And that's that second exceptionality. And together that makes two E or twice exceptional. Excellent description. And um, we know that this term twice exceptionality is gaining more recognition, which we're very happy about. um, And that there Mm -hmm. are lots of people out there who have kids who have not been identified as gifted and might not be identified as having um, a other label, but they know that their kids are really bright and creative and at the same time are struggling in certain areas that they wouldn't expect them to. So uh, this all applies to all of you who are raising this, what we call asynchronous kids, asynchronous children. Yeah, and actually, I didn't say social-emotional challenges, but that frequently comes along for the ride. And sometimes it's because a a kid is not understood And so there's environmentally induced behavior. It just kind of becomes a uh, self-fulfilling perpetuality. So with understanding comes calm, right? This is the name of your business. And I imagine it is a a personal mantra as well um, for you (laughs) and your clients. So tell us about where that came from. With understanding comes calm. So again, I'm a visual learner. So I have all these pictures in my mind, like sitting at my dining room table. I talked about this is the other pictures. I'm standing in my parents' home talking to a friend in the gifted world. And I was describing my kids and an episode. And I said, you know, with understanding comes calm. And then I went, oh, that's the name (laughs) of my business. And and the truth is that that is the gospel truth, man, because everybody wants to be understood, whether you're two e or not, whether you're a kid or not, you're a spouse, you're a friend, you're a understanding. You want to be the human condition. You want to be understood. So I was, you know, after I went on that journey that I described, I realized that I could save parents a lot of time. I could make their trajectory a lot 
quicker um, by helping them uh, understand what the years of concentration and study and experience, you know, that I, that I learned on my journey. And so it sort of happened at the same time. I came up with this, you know, this name just came at the time when I was forming my, my service. And so with Understanding Comes Calm became the service. And as you said, I guide parents, which is how it started. And my tagline was um, supporting parents of gifted and distractible kids. But it sort of morphed and uh, adults started to read my monthly blog and would call me or email me and say, I think you're the only person who understands my emotional intensity. I read your piece, you know, and so I started to mentor two adults and then teachers started to ask or administrators, would you help train our teachers? And then uh, clinicians started to ask for me to come and actually listen in on cases and help them see them through a 2E lens. So with Understanding Comes Calm covers all of those populations and is so important for everybody at the table to have that understanding. That's really kind Mm -hmm. of a launching point for good work. It lays the groundwork, right? It just lays the groundwork of what are we dealing with. And when we know what we're dealing with, we can apply proper, use the right tools, the right accommodations, the right mm-hmm. interventions. But if we're looking at the wrong, mm-hmm. the, the wrong ballpark, we're going to miss the mark. Yeah, well, and not only that, but so there's understanding and there's misunderstanding, right? And our kids mm-hmm. are both. And, and I would argue mm-hmm. that they're different. So, and, and I would argue that self-esteem is the imperative, is imperative for success and that um, so often our kids are not only not understood, but they're misunderstood, right? Behavior is communication, but the behavior of our kids doesn't actually indicate necessarily what's going on, whether it's a learning difference or a social challenge or whatever it is that's happening with them. And so sometimes not only are they not understood, but they're misunderstood, which comes with shame or comes with why you can do this. You can't do that, particularly for our kids who are gifted with a learning difference or learning disability. And so that understanding piece really is is so important for the calm, but it's also important for being able to get those strategies to stick, to get those strategies to be durable, what I call durable strategies. Durable. I like that. They have to yeah. uh, stand the test, right? <laughs> they, re- they really do. Right. So this leads us to something that you uh, talk about, teach, write about, the cycle for success. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the cycle yeah, for success. Yeah, I love this. I love the cycle for success. So the cycle for success, if you think about it, um, actually, you know, as a triangle, right? The bottom left, you've got your understanding, okay? You've got to understand uh, what we just talked about, that with understanding comes calm. At the top, the pinnacle, those are the strategies based on that understanding. And then at the bottom right, you've got your advocacy tools, right? And this cycle goes around and around. So you have to have the understanding. And, and this is actually the um, the scaffolding for one of my services called the one-to-one service. I take parents through each of these topics is a part of a three meeting series. So the first one is huge Uber intake understanding. I'm going to understand everything that's going on with your kid wherever, home, school, field, church, wherever. And I'm going to teach about what it really means to be gifted and the inner experience of being twice exceptional. Okay, so now we have that understanding, we got our calm, and we move on to strategies. And those strategies are going to be more durable because they're based in an understanding. And we're going to get the buy-in from the child 
because that's what we need to make these strategies stick. Once we get the strategies, I mean, you can have the best strategies on the planet, but if you don't have the advocacy tools to advocate and collaborate with the team, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to happen. So that cycle keeps going around because now you've got to advocate for the understanding, right? You've got to advocate for the strategies. And sometimes the teachers need to advocate or teach the parents. Sometimes the parents have to teach the teachers and then you throw a clinician in there and everybody's kind of going around in this wheel over and over and over. And every year, every school year. So that's that yeah. cycle for success. So, and it keeps going around, right? Like you said, each school year, mm-hmm. each new perhaps sports team, each new milestone, there are new challenges and developmental challenges, which can create some new behaviors or challenges that we need to understand. And then how do we develop those strategies? And then how do we advocate for the child? And I would say, being, being that glass half full, I would say, and there are new opportunities, new strengths, new, new things we can focus on to help us, you know, get to yes, so to speak. So you also mentioned buy-in from the child. I know a lot of listeners are thinking that would be really nice to have my child buy into <laughs> this approach. So what can you say about how to get that buy-in? So... The buy-in has to do with, A, the kid feeling understood, to go back to the understanding, but B, they have to be a part of the process. These are smart kids. They, they have to be part of the process, and they like to be. They like to be leaders. They like to be involved. They like to have a say. They want to make sure that they are heard. So they have to be a part of that strategy process. So within that strategy piece, at the pinnacle there of the top of our triangle, I have a trademarked acronym that stands for strategy categories. Mm -hmm. And that's really how we get the buy-in. So I know I'm begging the question, what's the acronym, right? Oh, please let me, please let me. (laughs) Wait, 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 let me guess. Actually, no, I'm not even going to guess. I'm just going to let you say it. What is that acronym, Julie? What is it? (laughs) So the acronym is PRAISE, P-R-A-I-S-E. And It stands for, and and so all of these six categories are particularly impactful with our kids, okay? And it stands for personal connection, that's our P, reframe, anticipate, incentives and choices, sense of humor, and exercise. And so those are the six categories. And under those categories, I teach all sorts of strategies based on those categories. And they're very specifically in that order, because personal connection, the letter P is the A1 number one strategy. Without it, none of the other strategies are going to be as impactful. And the other way to say that is with it, your Mm -hmm. strategies are much more impactful. So when I talk to parents or or I'm training teachers, I start with personal connection and I, and I teach different ways to forge a personal connection that's meaningful and important um, and that can really lead to, you, again, it comes back to this understanding, right? If you have a personal connection, you're feeling understood because you're connecting on different levels. Right. Um, and that's, and that's really where we start is with that personal connection. And it really has to do with, for teachers, it has to do with finding out what makes this kid tick and what ticks this kid off. Really, mm-hmm. you've got mm-hmm. to take the time and sit down, right? Teachers are trying to be objective, but we know every year the kids come up and they have a reputation because you know it from either seeing them on the playground, in the cafeteria, wherever, 
or you hear it from your colleagues. And so what I say is find the hardest kid to love and love him the hardest. That's what you got to do. You got (laughs) to sit with that kid. You got to find out what do they love to do? What do they hate to do? And it can't be a form they fill out or some other community building thing that we love to do in classrooms, which are great. It has to be a one-on-one situation to really get to the two-e kid's heart. I truly believe. And for parents, it has to do with some time spent, completely focused. We shine a bright spotlight on the kid and we do no teaching. We do no judging. We become narrators and we, we are just narrating what the child is doing while we're with them. So, you know, if they're building with Legos, we're saying, oh, I see you're using the white Legos and you're building a square or a rectangle, or it looks like you're making a garage. You wouldn't say something like, geez, why don't you do a pattern and use yellow and white Legos? Or I'm not sure that entrance is big enough for your matchbox cars. You're literally, literally just narrating what the kid is doing. And I know it sounds totally weird, but I'm here to tell you, I have clients who have called me in tears saying, oh, my God, it's the first time my kid hugged me after we had this what I call special time together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For parents who have a particularly difficult time or a difficult relationship with their kids, I tell them to actually have their phone next to them, have their friend or spouse call them and not look at it. Look their kid in the eye and say, you know what, this time is way too important for me. I'm not going to even look at my phone. I mean, <laughs> when do nice. we ever do that? Nice. When do nice. we ever give 100 percent? Right. Right. So that's the personal connection piece. Yes. And then it moves to what? Reframe. Reframe. Reframe is great. So, you know, I recommend to my clients, the first book I recommend to them is is A Parent's Guide to Gifted Children, um, which is written by uh, several amazing authors, um, including Jim Webb, who founded Sang. And within that book, there's this chart that I love to use. It's called Problems Associated with Characteristic Strengths in Gifted Children. And I love using this chart. So it has like one side has the strengths and the other side has possible problems. Well, I go the other way. I start with the problems and I have parents reframe. Like if I tell you that a kid is impatient with slowness of others or dislikes routine and drill, you know, may resist mastering foundational skills, like tell me what's, what's the positive there, Right. And they have to come up with that he or she acquires and retains information quickly, right? And, and they've already mm-hmm. had the whole understanding piece I've taken up to. When I do this with teachers, I do, you know, I do a couple with parents. I do like all 15 with teachers, and it is a lot of fun. It's a great exercise to do. And then when I do it with clinicians, I add in and have them tell me what the diagnosis could be, which is awesome because all of a sudden they realize how easy it is to pathologize, to right. diagnose a typical characteristic of a gifted kid. And right. I'm always turning things around. I had, I had a client who had a child who ran out of the classroom one day. He, he was so frustrated, just ran out of the classroom. She was horrified. I said, I am so proud of him. She looked at me like I was nuts. I said, okay, did he disrupt? Did he have a tantrum? Did he hurt anyone? Did he throw anything? Did he... He knew he needed to get out of there. He knew exactly what he needed. So now we have to tweak. We have to sit down. We have to talk to him. We have to let him know, like, you know, maybe letting the teacher know that you need a break would be a better plan and have a plan intact. But I'm going to always find the positive. That kid knew he needed to remove himself and he didn't do something disruptive. He just left, (laughs) you know, and that's the positive, positive reframe. I could positive reframe anything these kids do because I understand the struggle that underlies the behavior. 
I love that Jedi mind trick with the teacher. Uh, oh, yes, yes. That is a strength. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> okay, so yeah. what about the A? Move us to the A. Okay, so the A is anticipate. Now, anticipate is like the, the biggest piece yes. of praise uh, because, you know, you look at what we call the rage bell curve, right? And rage is in the middle. That's that silo in the middle, and there's no learning happening then. But if you can anticipate on the one hand or you can – in hindsight, look back and learn. Those are the learning moments. So hopefully we're going to anticipate. So, so first of all, we know for sure many of the common challenges that this profile may exhibit, right? Emotion regulation, frustration tolerance, impulsivity, sensory issues, risk aversion, social skills challenges, anxiety, school or task refusal, perfectionism, the need to move, right? Those are all, okay, wow. I just listed, what did I list? I don't know, 10, 10 common yes. challenges, right? That we know. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then we also happen to know behavior, uh, time, moments, moments in time when things go awry, right? You got your morning routine, you got your bedtime routine, you got homework, meal times, right? Sitting at the table, get togethers with family, long car ro- rides, chores that we expect our kids to do. Like those are moments in time when we can anticipate that there are going to be issues or unwanted behavior. And at school, on the bus, right, tons of sensory input there, uh, arrival time in the cafeteria, required extensive sitting, being instructed in the area of LD, do working in a group, having a rigid teacher, being on the playground, being in PE, right? We know those moments are challenging, right? Nothing right. I said there was a surprise to anybody, I'm sure. And then for, for all areas, whether you're home, school, or anywhere, transitions, new situations, if there's a change in plan, and the dreaded screen time. There's always something that's going to happen, right? Right. So right there, we have tons of data. And if we know that those are things and places that things happen, now what I do is I give my clients a chart. They keep data on it. We figure out when it happens. And then we either role model, right? So if emotion regulation is a challenge, you know, our two wee apples don't fall far from our two wee tree, from our parent trees, right? Right, right. So if we know, if we know that we struggle with emotion regulation, that's awesome. Here comes a positive reframe because that gives us great role model fodder, right? I'm going to get, lose it. And I'm going to go, you know what? I am feeling a lot of emotions right now. I feel it in my belly. I feel it in my head. I'm feeling angry and I'm worried that I'm not going to be my best self. So I'm going to walk away and come back when I can talk. Wouldn't that be great if our kids did that? So let's role model it for them. It's totally anticipatory. So there's a role model example. Then we have what I love, which is Ross Green from livesinthebalance.org. He teaches collaborative and proactive solutions. Yep. Yep. And that, that basically entails, I know you know this, it entails figuring out exactly what's going on under the behavior, asking the child, like, I noticed this is happening and this is t- difficult for you. Like, what's up? Tell me, tell me, let me understand what's going on. Right. And then right. putting that adult concern on the table, teaching the child to take in somebody else's perspective. And then, and this is where that durable buy-in comes in, where you get the kids uh, to help you brainstorm what's going to help us avoid this situation in the future. What can we do for you? 
right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have something that, that I teach called win time, W-I-N, what I need, right? Because sometimes we do that with a kid and we have a menu, right? And so if they're getting towards that rage bell curve, we hand them that menu, what I need, right? And we figure it out. It's anticipatory. Um, and then there's just the proactive strategies. Okay, my student doesn't turn in their homework. Huh, let's make him the homework collector. Because hopefully he's going to go, wow, everybody's turning their homework into me. Maybe I should turn mine <laughs> How in. How about that? How about right? that? Yeah. The okay, goal, so then the we... Gophers. Have that, yes. Yeah, have that kid who can't, who needs to move, go and move and bring a note to the office. You know, that type of thing. Having an anticipate, anticipate what's needed. And then we move to our I. Incentives and choices. Okay, big secret. I don't love incentives, but I needed an I because it wouldn't have been a word. So, for <laughs> praise. But... <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. We do need to incentivize. The world works with incentivization. It's true, but we would rather have internal motivation than external motivation. However, if an incentive can be applied evenly, fairly, like these kids with their strong sense of right or wrong. I mean, I have a client who their kid would burst into tears every time they had to get into line because the teacher was giving stickers to the kids who could stand in line and he just couldn't stand in line. It's like, here, we're going to give all the kids who can see stickers so the blind people don't get stickers. I mean, you know, it just right, doesn't make any right. sense. No. So incentives have to be fair. Choices, however, are magical. And it yep, yep. to this day blows my mind that they work with this brilliant population. But man, if you can say to a kid, do you want to do your worksheet, you know, at the desk or sitting on the floor? Do you want to have 15 green beans or 10 green beans, right? Like they love to be in control. So they're making the choice of how, when, where, what, but we get to, adults get to say the thing that they're doing. They just kind of get to decide the the other stuff about how and when and where they're doing that thing. So that's the choices. That's the choices. And choices are huge. You know, we often, I think, are raised as parents to believe that we have to make choices for our kids or or, or, or just limit their choices. But it's amazing. This I think this also goes back to what you said about personal connection, is these kids need to feel respected, and they often mm-hmm. feel—they're often beyond their years in many ways, not always, of course, but in many ways, and they want the respect and choice that older people get. So— giving them these things, connection, respect, and choice, it, it is amazing that it is, it, it's beyond a tool, right? It's just a child actually steps into a plan, uh, gets the buy-in, right. like we were talking about earlier. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Give them responsibility. That's the great, greatest thing you can do. You know, you have a kid who melts down because they're, you know, being picked up from a play date and they're not done with what they were doing or whatever. And, you know, if you said beforehand, do you want me to pick you up at, um, four or four fifteen? <laughs> and if they choose four fifteen, you walk into the play date, you go, let me see, what time did you tell me this morning? Four fifteen. Let me look at my watch. Oh, right. Yeah. It's four fifteen. You will see a whole different experience. Right. Okay, so now we're getting to the S. S, sense of humor. So, you know, sense you said of my kids uproariously, yes. <laughs> uproariously yes. laughing, man. I can't even tell you how many songs I made up and raps and dances about putting your shoes on when these kids were little. But, you know, you just got to have a sense of humor. <laughs> You gotta have a sense right. of humor. It's it's also re- it's really important because these kids carry the world on their shoulders, right? They're they're mm-hmm. so emotionally in tune, sensitive, and so number one, laughing is really important. Number two, laughing at yourself for our perfectionists is yes. really really great yes. role modeling, and doing improv in a classroom is amazing for social skills. 
Mm-hmm. You have to be clever mm-hmm. to be able to do that type of thing. So sense of humor is one of one of the strategies for sure. And then finally, we get to the E. Exercise. Anybody know exercise. anybody that? A little bit okay. of exercise. Let's take away lunchtime and recess from school and see there what happens. There you go. Good plan. Yes. Yeah, good plan. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We, we have a rule in, my, in our house where um, <laughs> if somebody does something at the dinner table that maybe you shouldn't do, they have to go and run a lap on a uh, – we live in a cul-de-sac, right? So we just stick it in there wherever we can, you know, and it's become a joke nice. and it's fun. And sometimes we all sometimes we all get up and our neighbors must wonder, what are the Skolniks doing running around the circle? But, yep. <laughs> They're running. They're running. Nice. Okay. So yeah. we got praise. We have personal connection, reframe, anticipate, incentives and choices, sense of humor, and exercise. Wonderful. Okay. That is a great framework. And now we're winding down Thank on our time. So I have to ask you, you have a whole toolbox of how to raise self-esteem in children, young, um, young adults, and adults. If you could give just distill the top, I'm going to say two strategies that you think improve self-esteem individuals. What would they be? Well, the personal connection, of course, is the number one. So it's, if you're a parent, it's sitting with your child and I don't care. It could be five minutes. It could be 15 minutes. It could be, you know, doing that strategy of the narrating being the newscaster sort of thing. Um, if you can do that in 15 minutes, I, I don't care, once a day, once a week, once a month, once a year, try it once. Sit down with your kid and literally just narrate what they're doing without judgment, without teaching. It, mm-hmm. it, it makes a huge difference. So that that's the number one thing. And okay. I guess the number, the number two thing to raise self-esteem, uh, I, I think you got to go... Boy, that personal connection is just sticking in my brain because everything falls from that and everything becomes better. I was going to I was going to have you just pick one, but I made I stretched it for you, but it seems like that is the <laughs> biggest did. one. That that is the biggest is, one is the personal connection. Everything falls from it. Okay. Everything falls from it, but but I think choice, you know, choices if you're looking for a quick fix, right? Choices I fall back on choices all the time. Giving mm-hmm. it is such a hard and easy strategy because we're just not programmed as parents, like you said, that way. But whenever you can turn something into a choice, man, it's just, it's so much easier for everybody. And a big take home, which is running through several of the episodes is something you just said. So I want to highlight it is presence, being present with our kids, Um, how huge that is. And it's actually, it's so hard to do, and yet it's a simple concept just to sit and be present, put the screen away, and just be with your child. And I say, do it for 15 minutes. And I also say, like, how would it feel if your colleague, your boss, your spouse, I, I, when I mentor adults, I, talk, I do the same acronym with my adults. And, mm-hmm. you know, how would it feel if you had hundred percent of somebody's attention on something you did, whether it's your boss, your colleague, your friend, your spouse. So that's even more impactful for a child. Yes. Okay, Julie, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Tell us (laughs) about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. I love this question. So, when I first started to think about this, it was like an immediate, again, visual in my head. Okay, 
So I'm very goal-oriented. Many of us are. I li- we lived in a cute little house in Washington, D.C. When, when we had our daughter. And I think she was really little for this. She was two or under, for sure. We had this attic playroom, and there was this soft blue shag carpet, and then we painted the walls blue, and we decided to make it like an aquarium, and it was both my therapy, and while she was sleeping in her nap time, I would draw different sea animals all over the wall, right? So whether it was a fish or a turtle or a mermaid or a dolphin, whatever it was, and every day at nap time, I would draw another creature, so when she woke up, there would be something new on the wall. I thought that would be really cool. (laughs) So one day, she wakes up, and we're on these carpeted stairs that go up to the attic, like a little bit of a turn, right? And (laughs) we're sitting there, she must have found something in the rug, or maybe she just suddenly noticed the rug and was touching it. I was like, come on, come on, let's go upstairs, come on, come on. And I'm like rushing her to go upstairs. And then I started to laugh. And I realized I'm rushing my child to go play. Like, what? (laughs) Like, she is playing. And and this goes to the (laughs) be present moment, like, hello, sit with your kid and look at what she's doing and just be there with her. Like it was so about me. And suddenly I realized she's got to take into consideration her perspective. I got to get into her little body and see what she's totally fixated on or now as teenagers or wherever they are to pause. Cause we're so self-absorbed sometimes, or we're so, you know, and, and goal oriented, get upstairs and play, you know, <laughs> Yes. It was so funny. And that, that had a huge, you know, people complained to me about, oh, they got to get, find the right school for their kid. And it's going to be like a 45 minute commute. I'm like, that's awesome. Go to the library and check out books on CD or a podcast. Listen to Dr. Dan, you know, like it's such great <laughs> moments. Take advantage. Right. So oh. yeah, finding, finding that, finding that. That piece. is great. That is a great awareness. Hurry up and play. I always think about uh, Christmas and Hanukkah when we're rushing our kids through the next present when they're totally loving yeah. the one that they just opened, right? So that's <laughs> it's that totally is, true. It's the same thing. <laughs> that is great. Well, Julie, thank you for enlightening us about how understanding brings upon calm, how the praise model, the cycle for success. You obviously have a huge tool set that I know have helped many, many uh, people of all ages and their families. Um, Tell everyone where they can find your stuff and what you're up to. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So with understandingcomescalm.com is my website. Uh, It's also how you can find me on Facebook, and I post lots of stuff on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel, which is currently under my name, Julie Skolnick. I do Facebook live broadcasts. I've interviewed you at least once, if not twice. Uh, And that's sort of under the moniker of Let's Talk 2E, which is the digital arm of With Understanding Comes Calm. I have a monthly newsletter called Gifted and Distractible, which you can subscribe to on my website on the bottom of any page. And really exciting coming up is a virtual conference called Two Days of 2E. It's going to launch on October 26th and 27th, which means that the pre-recorded talks of our fabulous speakers, of which you are one, Dan, uh, they will time release on 26 and 27 of October, but then they'll be available for at least six months after that. And, and simultaneous to that is the idea is to build content community and collaboration. And so the content is from our awesome speakers. The community is from discussion forums, one per speaker topic. 
where you can build community live and chat with other parents, teachers, and professionals. And then we're going to have an, a virtual exhibitor hall with lots and lots of resources. So that's coming up, twodaysof2e.com. That that's is exciting. That is exciting. <laughs> and you are really good at being goal-oriented. You are involved <laughs> in so many things. Um, and like I said, you are getting the word out there and have so many resources and tools for parents of 2E uh, individuals and 2E people themselves. And I just want to say one more thing that the, these strategies work beyond the quote, twice exceptional population. They are great tools for uh, just enhancing human development all the way around. That's for sure. So that's it, guys. Uh, everyone, please check out, if you wish, the Parent Footprint website, www.parentfootprint.com, where we have the Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which can help you be the parent you want to be and raise the children you want to be. Focus on being the person you want your child to become. And as always, think about this question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>